welcome to episode 22 of Ribbon of Memes, a podcast where we interrogate films previously described by other accused as masterpieces. I am joined as ever by Roger. Oh! And I am Nick. Today we are donning our black caps, looking serious and delving into the story of The Last Woman Hanged in the UK as we watch Dance with a Stranger, the 1985 film about Ruth Ellis. Um, a true story. Um, we haven't had many true stories before. I suppose we've had a couple. We had uh, the one that we always mention, um, Badlands. Was inspired by, at least. Uh, yes, yes. And we had, um, well, the Bobby right Clyde. stuff. Uh, yes, <laughs> yeah. But this is probably the, well... The truest, well, I don't know, the right we'll, stuff. We'll come back to that. There, there, it, it is clearly, I mean, it, it's keeping the names the same. It's saying this is what yeah. happened, more or less. But there are some significant ways in which it diverges from the actual recorded events, which I think we'll talk about later. Well, I do think that's relevant here, because this really, as you say, it's um, it's not really stylized particularly. It's not really... Um, uh, there's no element of sort of fantasy or dissociation as there was, you know, with Bonnie and Clyde, it's clearly a bit mythologized. Uh, with Badlands, it's very mythologized. With the right stuff, yeah, there, I mean, there was a lot, there was a lot of, um, stylization of it and filmicness, whereas here it feels, it well, is really... Well, there is some. I mean, the 1950s were not restricted to a color palette ranging from olive drab to grey. Well, but... <laughs> My experience of the 1950s, which is entirely through films, really, is this is this kind of drab... I mean, this was actually, I felt it was pretty colourful compared to some of the other <laughs> actual 50s films. I've... Um... The, the impression I get from the ethos of the time definitely is, you know, we've had the 1930s, we've had the Depression... We've had the 1940s of the war, and, you know, we were all told we had to sacrifice for victory, and now that's over, and we're still not getting anything. <laughs> we're still you know, the, the Americans yeah. have all the money and all the food, and everything that's good in the world is happening somewhere else, and we're just stuck here. Yeah, well, that comes on to one of my issues, which is not the film's fault itself, but I will say it meant the film had something of an uphill battle, because... I find something uniquely depressing about 1950s Britain. <laughs> it feels kind of Orwellian, dark, depressing, as you say. It's it's like we've been through all this privation, we've been through all this horror, and still things are crap. And you, you're kind of mm. waiting for the vibrancy of the 60s, but they haven't happened yet. And in the 50s... America just feels like a much more exciting place to be, and they're having all the fun, a bit like the twenties in um, <laughs> in America too. Um, except they weren't allowed to drink. So, um, uh, but uh, I gather they did drink a bit, though. Um, oh, surely not. Yeah. So the the film had an uphill battle for me just from the the milieu of it, um, and then the color palette, if nothing else, and and the 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 general sense of drab. Yeah, this is shot by uh, Peter Hannon, who's not really a big name in cinematography, uh, mm. but he did quite a lot of other quite big films, including With Nail and I. Uh, also, oh, Monty Python's sense. Meaning of Life. So, I can see both of those, actually. Um, that's... <laughs> the, 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 the smoky, stained images, they may not be a thing I want to look at for for 90 minutes, but they're, they're effective. They, they, I mean, you you look at a random frame from this film and you've probably got a pretty good chance of saying yeah we're in the 50s here yes i i completely it, it, it's very uh i don't want to say evocative because that makes it sound like somewhere i want to go <laughs> <laughs> I, I, well, it's not in texas that's true it's not set in texas i was wishing for texas um but we weren't there i mean i was so i i struggled a bit with the the milieu of the film but i i sort of knew that going in and it yeah, it does it very well. It gets you into the 50s. I just, I don't like it very much. I didn't mm. fancy staying there. I was interested in this film because I, what I knew about Ruth Ellis was, I guess what everyone knows about Ruth Ellis, that she was the last woman hanged in Britain. Mm -hmm. And I was interested in that story. And I think that maybe created a problem. I de de deliberately avoided reading more about the story because that's kind of all I knew, I'm afraid. Um, sure. She, she's actually uh, buried not very far from here, in in Amersham. Oh, really? Um, 
I d- are they not buried in the uh, in the prison? Quite? Yeah, uh, but she was she was reburied later. Oh, okay. We'll, we'll, right. we'll come back to that. Um, I suppose my I I'm, I've got to be careful in this kind of criticism or discussion because I was hoping for a different film in a way, and so. I don't want to just criticise this film for being a film that, through no fault of its own, is not what I wanted it to be when yeah. I thought N- about Neil it. Neil did not make the film you wanted to watch. Exactly, and so that's not. I, I've got to be. I, I've got to be mindful of that. But what I was interested in specifically with the story, well, yes, absolutely, was the, the event of the murder. I knew there was a murder. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't know who for sure. I didn't know whether there was an. I had a vague idea. It was a lover. I had a vague idea there was an accomplice who wasn't hanged, um, which turns out to be not quite the case. Um, it's all a bit fiddly and complicated. But it yeah. seems vague when you get into But what I... I think because I was aware of Ruth Ellis as the last woman hanged, I guess what I was interested in is why? Why was this the murder that, that kind of ended capital punishment and I, I guess well, it's very simple it wasn't yes exactly the, the answer <laughs> having looked into it is it was it didn't end for another 10 years afterwards um but it was one i think it's fair to say it was one of the contributing cases that yeah. um that ended caps but you see already i'm more interested in our discussion right now about and that this, this is a film that ends in the seconds after the murder yes yes the, and, there's none of the trial, none of the sentencing, none of the public reaction. This is this is about specifically Ruth's story. Yes, this is the story of the crime, not the consequences of the crime. Um, and, and as I, I guess I put it to you off air, really, it's a very long, drawn-out establishment of the motive, followed by a few moments of the crime. Um, uh, hmm. and, and I, uh, I don't want to criticise the film for being that. I just, I then spent more time than I spent watching the film reading around the case and reading about, you know, the Hanratty, the A6 murder and the other, mm-hmm. the other cases that led people to think, hang on, why, why are we killing people in this sort of situation? But that, that's my. That, that's something I, I suspect we, we will come back to. Um, because yeah. it's interesting stuff and the way the, the way the film touches on that is interesting. But, I think just looking at the film itself for a moment, mm. the the story as presented, it, it's a bit of a twist because yeah, it, the lad who falls in love with the tart is a very common story. Yes, and this is yeah, you know, at least it's from the woman's side. Yes, um, as I see it, I mean, remembering we're talking about the story as presented, not necessarily the reality. The the way she's played, and I've got to say, uh, this film rotates around Miranda Richardson. I, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I do want to highlight this is possibly the finest uh, performance, at least, uh, well, the finest female female performance we've had so far, possibly the finest performance we've Could had well so be. far. It, it, she is... I don't understand why, because this was either her debut or very close to a debut. Yeah. I don't understand why she is not massive, because mm. I mean, I sadly I mainly knew Miranda Richardson from um, Black Adder, of course. The things she did immediately after this. Yes, yes. Um, you, will you see Queenie in the same way when you when you next rewatch? Well, I kind of knew she was a phenomenal <laughs> actress already, mainly from watching around Black Adder and and how they how she just blew them away with her interpretation. Like every line she gave as Queenie was not what the way she they expected her to do it. She was just so off the wall, but mm. not in a in a way that coheres to this, I mean, in, in Blackadder, she's this slightly terrifying, but also wonderful, it's, it's, I don't know. Petulant, but can have you killed on a whim. Exactly. So, <laughs> but also very unpredictable, but still you can see why men, you know, threw themselves at her. She just does a phenomenal job with Queenie. Uh, but here, she is, there's no hint of Queenie in this act, in mm. this acting performance. Indeed. She is phenomenal. I've also said the other film I've seen her in, I mean, she's been in a number, of course, but I also knew her from The Crying Game, where mm. she's phenomenal in that, so completely different as well, to the point where, aside from the fact she looks like Miranda Richardson, she's just utterly different. Um, yeah, yeah, I completely agree. I've seen her in one or two things, but nothing that I've really noticed her in, I think. Um, but... The, the way she does this, you know, obviously the hardest nails persona 
mm. is a, a key part of the role she is playing as part of the job she's in. You know, the, the nightclub hostess manager. Yes. Um, but at the same time, obviously, she isn't as hard as nails, and it's when it, when she is not actually living up to that role that she fails. Yes. Um, I mean, the, the the moments where her accent slips. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah. because you know, she, she's the the eternal potential problem here is that you know she's just going to be treated as a tart. Mm. And she is treated as one, but she's always trying to differentiate herself. You know, it's not quite the, not quite the same thing. And yes. so, so, so she talks proper, except when she fails. Except when she does. And it's always, yes, yeah. And it's always, that's when the emotion cracks through. She's so good at getting that, um, it, into her. I mean, I, yeah. And, um, Particularly for me, uh, that there's a moment where uh, should, uh, should we summarise the plot? Yes, yeah. I mean, uh, the <laughs> plot is is a bit depressing to summarise, isn't it? Really. I mean, it it, it is a uh, it's uh, fifties Britain. We have uh, I don't know if you call it a speakeasy, but it seems that basically a, a a drinking den slash brothel. The, the the nightclub part of it is legal, and any business arrangements um, customers might make with with the staff are entirely their own business. And yeah, it, um, it is all very depressing. Yes, yeah. I mean, it just it has that kind of sordid feel to it. It's, it's just. But um, Ruth Ellis is the um, proprietor, at least of the drinking den part. Of it, at least the manager side. Of it. Uh, the manager. She, she's, yeah. she's she's not owning it, though. She wants to own one one day. That's the idea, isn't it? She she's uh, she runs the the nightclub aspect. She's not, at least in the film. I don't think in real life, but you may clarify in any way involved in the extra nightclub activities um though she was a sex worker in her past um i believe she meets um a... well she she had certainly done quite a lot of nude modeling um mm. whether she had done other things we don't really know she is uh, she meets a young Toff, they rapidly become besotted. He turns out to be a minor member of the aristocracy. That wasn't uh, sorry, spelled yes, out. Yes, well. yes, she was in fact uh, full service escort. She was okay. Yeah. So I, 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 th- I thought I'd heard that, but I wasn't certain. Again, I don't think that's in the film, but it's uh, no. It would not. It doesn't need to be spelled out. I mean, it is clear that she's wor- moved in these circles at least, and it's not a, not a surprise to her. Um, she meets the young uh, racing driver who turns out to be a minor member of the aristocracy. Also turns out to be uh, an abusive, uh, violent lover. Um, and that that was the other thing. This this is why, why I jumped out here. Because that moment where he hits her for the first time and pushes her into the car, she's oh God, got that yeah. look that says, this is what I've been waiting for. This is what a relationship is like. Yeah, that I I want to tell that that shot where she's pushed into the car and she, it kind of, it's striking because she doesn't react the way you expect her to. She doesn't react outraged or vulnerable or Yeah, the, the, the hard-as-nails woman she's playing would hit him back. Exactly. And she doesn't react in that way, but she doesn't really go the opposite way and turn into screaming or vulnerable. She just... Exa- you just summarised it perfectly. She just has a look like, yeah, okay, now I understand. Mm. And that's... That's kind of the As you say, very all. depressing. <laughs> very depressing. And but it is, very well done. It's very well. Uh, yeah. I mean, it is the story of a violent, abusive relationship and someone who still loves someone enough to return to that sort of situation and doesn't quite understand it themselves. Well, it's, it's this weird three-way thing as well, because we, we've got um, Desmond, uh, Ian Holm. Lovely Ian as, Holm. Yeah. Uh, as her... <sighs> long-term admirer. Well, uh, I suppose she's almost to... Desmond is to Ruth almost as Ruth is to... Oh, I've forgotten her lover's name, who she who she um, shot. Spoiler, David, David Blakely. She is as admiring of David, hopelessly in a way, that, mm. that Desmond is of her. Um, and that's, a, that's one of those sad triangles, really. He's clearly besotted with her. He will do anything for her. And he has to watch her descend into this violent relationship though the the way i saw it i mean part of it is just that he's not as young and glamorous as david and that's yes. fair enough uh but i i couldn't help getting also getting a feeling that 
with, with Desmond, she can never quite forget that she is being a kept woman. You know, he does things like offering to pay for the kids' school. Yeah. Which is not the sort of thing you offer to your fancy bit on the side. It, and it's certainly not the sort of thing you offer to someone you, you were having a serious relationship with, because, you know, that would be you know, post-marriage. Exactly, yeah, that is a, yeah. And I, I, I think that that's part of why she just can't forget it, whereas with David, I mean, he may do the flashy gestures when he's in the cash, but but he doesn't do the big practical things. Yes, that's so, exactly so it doesn't, it doesn't feel like the business arrangement. It's kindly meant, but it's demeaning to Ruth, um, however yeah. practical and useful it is. Um, and it also, I don't know, it, it comes with an undertone of this sort of nice guy syndrome. And not that he, he pushes that particularly, but with, all right, I'm doing this huge thing for you. Don't you kind of owe me something? And I, again, that is a... Mm. That's a problem. And, and and if it were the conventional relationship, then yes, she absolutely would. Mm. But, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so uh, I suppose to wrap up the summary, really, the abusive relationship continues um, to, to the point where... And, and then she is basically discarded by David, um, whereupon she shoots him um, quite unashamedly... Uh, which again comes out much more in the, and it, I again I don't want to criticise the film before, but you, you understand Ruth's kind of bravery and lack of self-deception aside from any other deception when you realise how unapologetic she was about what she did. Not not lack of remorse, she was, but honest with herself about what she had done and honest with everyone else. She never wanted clemency. Mm. She never asked for it. She went to the gallows. Very bravely, by all accounts, certainly by Pierpont's account. Um, sorry, the the, the most the, the hangman in Britain, or the most famous. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, she she kills David um, deliberately, and then uh, allows herself to be arrested. Asks in the film, she asks for someone to get the police. I think in reality, there was an off-duty policeman right there. Yeah. Also, in in, in reality, uh, the the last shot. Um... She managed to ricochet off the pavement and blow somebody's thumb off. Oh, oh yes, so, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, that's because she did exactly as she does in the film. Go, he was still alive and she went right, stood over him and shot him again to make mm-hmm. sure, to yeah. make sure he was dead. Um, but yes, I, I do think that the film is showing not just a dedication to do this weird thing, but yeah, I should say rather than this violent thing. Uh, but I, th- I think it's suggesting that she has gone at least a little bit mad in the final moments. It's, it's a hard line to draw. I mean, mm. one could argue that anybody who is deliberately doing something like that is, is not thinking quite normally. Otherwise, we'd be up to our elbows in corpses. Well, but, exactly. So. I mean, I think it's part... To me, it felt like a continuation. Well, not quite a continuation. Because you could argue, you know, rationally, she shouldn't be with him at all. He, he's... He's a violent drunk. They're both drunks, um, but uh, and, and he's clearly going nowhere. Yeah, and he's clearly going nowhere. In fact, the only thing he's got going for him is his birthright, and he's pissing that away <laughs> for most of the film. Um, he hasn't really got anything going for him, other than that she loves him, um, and they're both drawn to each other. Mm. It was a sad depiction of. A violent relationship, I, I, I found. Um, so, I don't know, you could argue that she's not really in a right mind being in that relationship in the first place, but it, she's ruled mm. by her passions and her heart, and I suppose, to me, that just felt like a continuation. Now, whether at the end, it didn't feel like it though, whether at the end you could say, oh, she came to a census and realised she shouldn't be in that relationship, it didn't feel like, to me, it felt like a continuation of the same passion. Just the the, the narrative I got from the film, and I should say I was at least roughly familiar with, with the general situation before I watched it, mm-hmm. is that it, it, it's basically being played as the woman scorned. You know, here here at last is the evidence that mm. he is not only sleeping with her, and therefore she goes and does the thing. And that isn't, isn't quite how it happened. Well, uh, that hotel... Yeah. I mean, well, was... sorry, I would just like to say, uh, I think this suffers a bit from the 30 plus years between then and now, because uh, just as when we were 
looking at Raging Bull. You know, we 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 now have the term toxic masculinity. Yeah, we don't have to have it explained to us. Yeah, that's uh, a and and. And regular. now we, we know what abusive relationship looks like. We know about the pattern that the victim always hopes the abuser will change. The abuser is always nice for a bit and then goes back to the abuse. Or yeah. not always, but awfully commonly. But, yeah. you know, it's 1985 and that is not a part of the public mind. Well, it's hard to know. I mean, that's that's one thing. It is hard to put yourself back into the... Was that not known about? Was that in the public consciousness? Well, I, it, I it's think... certainly before the gift of fear, which is 90s. So. Right, okay. I mean, I think you're probably... Uh, well, no, I, I, I'm sure you're right, actually. It, it wasn't uh, a common trope. <laughs> I get to, Well, I mean, it is a common real-life relationship, but the rhythms of it were perhaps less well-known in the 80s, whereas now I think... Mm. I, I, I think the film takes longer than we need to set up how this thing is actually working, perhaps. Um, whereas yes. if, if, you did, if you did it if you did the same sort of thing now, you you could just signif- signal that it is that kind of relationship relatively quickly, and then move on to something else. Well, then I suppose uh, maybe that is one of the fundamental problems I have with the film. Well, this it was this was a ninety, it was less than a hundred minutes. I, I think it's not a long uh, film. Just, just about a hundred, yeah. It drags to me in a way mm, that many of the in other places, films definitely um, not so much towards the end, but definitely sort of middle-ish. It, it, it seemed to be going round in circles. Well, and, you exactly. Know, I, yeah. I started thinking, all right, what is this scene telling me that I didn't already know from the previous scene? I, I'm not getting new information here, so I'm just I'm spending more time in this abusive relationship. And, and maybe you're right. Maybe the problem there is that we're aware of those rhythms. And really, that's the story this film has to tell, is the story of this relationship. And it's a familiar story to me, and it didn't... Oh, I don't. I don't want to do uh, retellists or the filmmakers that deserve it. But to me, it felt like the story of that relationship has been played out many, many times, and I kind mm. of knew the rhythm of it. Even with the third party of Desmond, you know, we've seen that before too. Yeah. The only difference, really, was that at the end, in the final moments of the film, Ruth shot him, um, and and that. That doesn't mean she wasn't a remarkable character, remarkably played, but the actual story of the relationship felt very familiar. Mm. And the only difference was in literally the final moments of the film. I, I, I did feel that it had been collapsed into this because, uh, in reality, both of them had been sleeping with other people right. quite a bit during during most of the relationship. Uh, this this wasn't the the time that he betrayed her. Yes. The, it, it was a gradual escalation, and you know, on this particular occasion, she saw him with somebody else and followed him to the pub and shot him. So that, that, I mean, that is what literally happened in reality, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, but you know, this wasn't a, this wasn't the unique event that the film makes it look like. Yeah, and it also it, it, incidentally, there are two bullet holes in the wall of the pub. Well, or rather, there aren't. They they were drilled by there by the landlady in the nineteen nineties. <laughs> that's just made me more depressed. Um, that's yeah, that's interesting. But uh, well, I, it, the, I suppose the thing I would say about that is um, one: it's interesting that that's not quite how it worked out. But also the fact that you were sleeping with someone else came as no zero, literally zero surprise. It wasn't in any way a revelation to me. And sure. I felt like it shouldn't really be to Ruth either. It, it didn't feel like that was a surprise. They she, have she's, this... she's not new at this game. No, she's been doing it for no. at least a few years. She should, she, yeah. And in that yeah. sense, perhaps it yeah. didn't do a very good explanation as to what it was this time that triggered the real life Ruth to to do this. And uh, I I didn't feel. Yeah, I, I didn't feel like it. It felt like it spent a long time laying the groundwork, but I still didn't quite understand what it was about this situation that meant Ruth murdered him, honestly. Mm. I, I still didn't quite... And I suppose you could, you know, like a lot of... Like Harold Shipman, where I still... It's still, you know, the biggest question with Shipman is, why? Um, what do you getting out of it? And I suppose you can see what Ruth Ellis was getting out of it, but it, it just didn't feel... I don't know. It didn't quite explain or it didn't feel remarkable or in in some way, maybe because that was the one bit of the story I knew Mm. it was going to end with a murder that the long journey to get there felt 
felt long to me. Well, that's the other thing. If if it hadn't ended with the murder, if they had had, let us say, a big screaming fight, yes, would anybody have bothered to make a film about it? I, I think uh, that is that is a perfect summary to me. I, I, was it in any way otherwise remarkable, except what? And so, to me, that's that's where the story starts. In a way, what was it special about this that meant she did that? And I don't, mm. I still don't feel I understand that from the film. And then, external to that, what was it special about this circumstance now that meant everyone was like, why why are we executing people in this sort of situation? Well, shall, shall we come on to that? Definitely. Because it, it's... I, I, I should make a disclaimer. I, I am not a lawyer, but I work for a legal charity and I talk with lawyers a lot and I have an interest in it. Yeah. No, no professional advice is, is implied or etc. Uh, particularly, if you've murdered so, particularly if you've murdered somebody. What are they uh, paying you for then? <laughs> so, I, I think one has to think in terms of the law at the time. The big change around this time was the Homicide Act 1957. Right. But we're just before that. So... This is 55? Is it 53? Yeah, 50. Yeah. Um, That's a very good question. I've completely forgotten. 55. Right. Um, So the law at the time is that somebody who is guilty of murder must be given capital punishment. Right. Must be hanged, in fact. Okay. And that there are various arguments for and against that, but I mean specifically the compulsory sentence, not the execution. That's a separate argument again. Um, but what we've got here is, if you have committed murder, in other words, you have done something with intent to kill somebody, and it has resulted in their death, as opposed they, to manslaughter. Yeah. Okay. It premeditation is the key. You you were yes. aware when you did it that it would have this effect. You intended it to have this effect. Yes. Once that conviction has been made, there is no uh, loophole. There is no way of saying yes, but ex circumstances. So a guilty verdict is returned. The judge has to pronounce execution. Yeah, I mean the the, okay. the only possible exception is Home Office clemency, but that was not often used. And yeah, well, it was tried in this case, wasn't it? But um, failed. Uh, and so from a legal technical point of view this is a very simple case yes she has confessed at the time she has confessed afterwards she's made no attempt to conceal what she's done she's made it quite clear and this was again which i found is in the trial one of the key statement was they asked what did you mean to do when you went to when you took the gun to him and she said it's quite clear what i meant to do i meant to kill him and Mm. based on that statement they had no choice but to execute her when they found her guilty yeah, so from from a legal perspective, if you're not going to hang her, who are you going to hang? Right. Yep. And yet, I mean, as as you pointed out, I mean, I confess I didn't think of this, but I think you you may have a very good point. Um, she was beautiful. Yeah. And this made a difference. And th- then I went and looked at the other women hanged in England and Wales uh, in the 20th century because there was a convenient list. Uh, and we've got, you know, three baby farmers. Uh, should we explain baby farmers? Oh. <laughs> yes, no, we're <laughs> depressed enough. Bro- broadly speaking, I-, I have this inconvenient baby and I want you to believe that it has gone to a good home, so I will give you a large amount of money to take it away. And, you know, maybe that'll happen. Yeah. Uh, but the, th- the three of them who, who were hanged were hanged for murdering the babies, because obviously that's a whole lot cheaper. Um, we had a nursing home matron, uh, we had a wife and lover who murdered the husband, we had a servant who poisoned their employer, uh, a mother-in-law who murdered her daughter-in-law. Basically, I mean, I absolutely don't want to rate the glamour of the, of these <laughs> actual people, um, but the situational glamour. Yeah. Yeah. This, this is somebody who has done nude modelling work, and I'm sure those photographs would have come out even if they wouldn't have been published. This is somebody who's got this situational glamour that those others are lacking. Yes. And, and I, th- so- I think that will have had an effect on how people felt about it. Well, also, I think it's an exotic, it's an exciting story for British people because it also, it, it, it talks about the class structure. You know, she was a working class mm. girl. He was a, an aristocrat. However, 
not quite true those labels were, or however loosely they applied to the actual people. Well, it was, is... it was all in a bit of flux, but that was the way people were still thinking, yeah. Well, that's the fascination of the British people. Isn't it? It's sex, uh, it's the class structure, and that that is a fascinating story. And then there's murder and an execution. And I, I, I can see why it caught the public imagination, but me having zero interest in the class structure and because of that being not really a well i mean uh, uh, the lines are blurrier nowadays um or we like to pretend they are um i i, I don't find the story in itself as interesting the class structure. but yes she she was glamorous and i i think that's why it caught the public imagination and yet you know yeah, I, I think that there was, a, to be fair, a, gen, a general trend away from the death penalty anyway. The numbers of executions were generally dropping. Uh, there was a proposal uh, shortly before the Second World War to suspend the death penalty for five years as a trial right, uh, yes. measure. And, you know, the, the war intervened, but that, that was getting reasonable support. Well, then we had, um, I mean, again, this is all from my reading around, but I, I, I did, I didn't know about Ruth Ellis the the case but I didn't know about James Hanratty, the the A six murder and the, mm-hmm. the controversy there was I'm not entirely sure he was the right guy. Um and we also had around this time the Chris Oh the the Let Him Have It murder. Derek Bentley. Derek Bentley, um where he said to his colleague well they they were held up like they were they were performing a robbery, I think. They were accosted by a policeman, um Derek Bentley said to his his colleague, I mean, I don't call it that you do, Robbie, but he said, let him have it, Chris. Uh, and, the, you know, the, the controversy was, does he mean, in the colloquial sense, shoot him, or does he mean give him the gun? But he well, was executed. There's, al- there's also the consideration that that was a joint enterprise. Um, the, the thing is, the, this, the, the retention of the death penalty at this date largely re- rests on its believed deterrent effect. Uh, the yeah. research came in a few years later. Um, but it was certainly the case that, uh, at least in popular culture, and I don't know how common this was in reality, that you know, a, a gang of criminals going out to, you know, rob a jewellery or a bank or something would frisk each other to make sure nobody had a gun in order to make sure that they would not all be hanged for the accidental killing of somebody. I mean, it, 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 that, that, that was the, that was the thinking behind this. Yeah, I mean it's the, the and, thing... and that that's that that is why the Bentley t- takes on the shape it does because that that's the presumed pattern of it. You know, you're that's all the idea. together. You all know that. You, uh, the problem with that thinking, it turns out, is that actually no one commits a crime thinking they're going to get caught. <laughs> so then, hmm. what happens when you get caught as a deterrent? I don't know. Uh, well, yeah, the the research I've seen, which is I think mid 80s uh is that the severity of punishment has almost no effect on people yes what does affect um very directly is is how likely they think they are to get caught yeah yes. if there've been a lot of news stories about people who did this particular thing getting caught and punished even if it's not a really major punishment they are less they become less likely to do it Okay, so that so it's not it's not the punishment itself that's deterrent, yeah. Which is, I I mean, my knowledge of this stems from me writing an, an essay on capital punishment for uh, for GCSE English. <laughs> so I probably, but yeah, well, I, the, I, an, another name that may be familiar is uh, Timothy Evans. Of course, yeah, yeah. Uh, who was hanged in nineteen fifty? It was a similar. It was just for the ten Rillington Place murders for yeah. Judy Christie. Uh, well, it, it was no, one of John them. Christie, not Judy Christie. I do apologise, Judy Christie, but John Christie. Yeah, uh, and John he Christie. he was living in the same house. His, his wife, his wife and daughter were murdered. Yes, he was hanged for it. Yes, John Christie was the bloke what done it. Yes, so that was another one, and that was exactly the same. That was another one, but that was a that was another case which started to undermine the foundations of capital punishment around about the same time. I mean, if you put someone in prison for ten years and and then let him out, he's lost ten years, but he's at least still alive. You, well, you know what struck me reading really, again, again, I noticed that we're talking more about the crime than the film. But <laughs> well, the, I, I find it legally interesting. So, I, well, yeah. so do I. This is I, again, this is my slight problem with the film that it, when it ends is when I start to get interested. Um, <laughs> That's, uh, uh, but the, what struck me about Ruth Ellis was she, 
shot David Blakely in, I think it was April. She was hanged in July. There was no, mm. you know, it was no, there was no time for it to, to forget. Well, there, there, there was no reason to. No. That's the thing. I mean, she she confessed immediately. She was arrested immediately. There was no real case for the defence lawyer to make. But I'm used to, I guess, the modern day capital punishment, which stems entirely from America, because thankfully we have abolished it. Um, yeah, but they appeal. You know, people are on death row for 10 years. And yes, I, I think even without appeal, they leave it a bit longer just mm. to, a, to, again, uh, yeah, you're right. She had, uh, but again, yeah, I mean, this, this is, this is another example of, of a, very simple case. Yeah, yeah. As you say, it was, it was very open and shut. Um, let's go back to this. <laughs> let's yeah, go back well, to the th- there is one, one particular shot that really struck me, and possibly yeah. it's it's a bit too filmy. Um, some, somewhere towards the end, um, where D- David is talking with some of his friends who are basically telling him, well, you know, she's just a tart. Obviously, you're not, you, this isn't going to last. Mm. Uh, and all the camera angles, he's looking up at them. He's the naughty child, even though they're, you know, more or less of an age with him. Maybe a little older, but not much. Okay, yeah. Um, and that, that struck. Okay, yeah. Perhaps it's 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 a bit too obvious, but it works. It's it's he 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 certainly perceives that as you you guys just don't understand, as has been said by every naughty child ever. <laughs> um, I well. Yeah, that's interesting you point out that kind of stylistic because to me, and I didn't, uh, that, that didn't stand out to me because to me, the, the, the cinematography, the staging felt very televisual <laughs> is the best way of putting it. Yeah. I, yeah. I, it, it felt like a, a TV drama to me. And maybe that's just because I'm more used to watching British TV dramas of this type, but it, it felt, it didn't feel very epic. I, I mean, not, not, it just, it's interesting you mentioned the cinematography because to me it felt quite pedestrian in that way in the sense that it told the story without a lot of stylistic traits. Now that suggests to me that I wasn't paying attention if I, if I didn't notice <laughs> that. Um, but I, my, my main feeling watching this film was it felt like, well, I watched, um, there was a not the ten uh, Rillington place with um, uh, Richard Attenborough, um, but I watched that there was a TV movie about John Christie uh, with um, oh, what's his face? He's very good. But there, there was a TV drama about that, and this this mm. just felt very similar to that. Uh, to be honest, it, it, it felt like no, this is the fifties. This is what's happening. It felt a little bit kind of kitchen sinky, and I don't have a huge amount of affection for. Uh, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I have had to watch Barry Hines' stories in my time. I had to read through Kez and I had to watch Kez. About the most depressing thing I thought <laughs> I'd ever watch until I watched Threads. <laughs> and so I, don't, I find this kind of realistic British drama... Oh, I don't know. It did, I just, uh, it, Paul, Pauline Cale described it as kitchen sink film noir. <laughs> That is amazing. That's yes, I haven't read, I haven't caught up, but yes, Kitchen Tilt Film Noir is very good. Um, yeah, but I found and it... uh, yes, she she also I I think she found Richardson a bit too uh, technical, and she she says uh, the performance took a lot of technique, and you can see it all. She acts as if every cell in her body were overstimulated. She can't stop acting, even when a viewer is begging her to, hoping for a glimpse of something besides white knuckled control. <laughs> Uh, I, I thought that was just. I, I think that's I, a bit I, 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 I wouldn't go along with that completely. No, I, 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 I think, think Richardson that's just does. The character that she was playing. Maybe yeah, that, and maybe that's. Maybe you might think that having seen that as just her performance, but having seen what Miranda Richardson's capable of elsewhere hmm. and how different she is, I think that was. Uh, speaking of the other performance, I mean, we, I, I had no idea Rupert Everett was so old. I, I thought. <laughs> so I was surprised to see him. I mean, he is very young in this, but I. I didn't have him as contemporaneous with those other actors. I guess he is older mm. now. But um, Ian Holm, lovely to see Ian Holm. And again, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what to say about Ian Holm other than he's a very good actor. Was... And, and and a small part for Stratford Johns uh, as as Maury, who who's a much nicer character in this than he was in reality. Uh... <laughs> oh my god, that's uh, uh, yes, he does come across as slightly. He, he comes across as a, a, a seedy and avuncular at the same time. Yes, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I can imagine that was it. He did seem surprisingly nice for basically a pimp. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, uh, who was indeed blackmailing his uh, managers into sleeping with him as well. So, oof. yeah. Well, so how does it... This is what I'm interested in. Here. How does the film... What are the significant differences with reality? Then? Well, there is one really key thing, which is Andy wasn't there. Andy, Andy was living with his mother. With, with, with his mother. Yeah. And he, he was not in London at all. Um, I haven't been able to what, find out exactly. Yeah. Um, he, he was living with Ruth's mother, and I think that was probably in Basingstoke. Uh, I haven't been able to confirm that definitely. But, um, yeah, he, he was, he was definitely not on site. That is, that is a surprise to me because he become. So all all that thing about you know David David said he would take him to the whatever it was yeah. and then didn't turn up. He, he's invented by um, Sheila Delaney in the script and, and Newell in the in the direction. So what was the, that? That is a surprise because that feels like a, one of the central dilemmas of the film. That that's where I think it, it does the story a disservice to to call it a a treatment of the actual person because it's. So much of Ruth's motivation rests on Andy being on site, as opposed to Andy being somebody who needs to be provided for, but who isn't right there to see the horrors. Yeah, I absolutely agree. That That is a surprise. But yeah, it, it seems to inform a huge amount of a character, in the film at least. Oh, okay. Yeah, that that is a surprise. Okay. Yeah, um, a- a- Andy, uh, sadly, d- um, killed himself in 1982. Um, it, I mean, it, it was a huge effect on him, and I don't think he ever really recovered from well, it. And let's face it, who's to say he should have? After Ruth hanged herself, I think her, his father, the dentist who was alluded to in the film, I think he killed himself. So he was left an orphan uh, of an executed mother. <laughs> I, I mean, it, I don't know what that does to someone, but yes. Again, mm. these are stories that I... Mm, in a way, they're all more interesting stories to me than the relationship between, uh, well, between David and, and Ruth. So, uh, and Andy's father was the uh, Canadian soldier in during the war, right? Uh, don't know what happened to him. That well, yeah, that they are that that, that Andy has has shocked me a little bit because I'm. That felt like one of the central. Maybe, or maybe that's just me as a parent feeling, uh, feeling so. But uh, the film would have been very different without Andy in it. Mm. I think it, it, it's it's an odd choice, and I I think it makes the story simpler. But is that necessarily what one wants? For me, I think the answer is probably no. It seems to add a lot of easy motivations, which if he wasn't there, I, I don't know. It, it it makes it very different. I, I agree, and it, it it kind of it feels to add a lot of shorthand motivations that if they weren't actually present for Ruth Ellis in reality, then I'm not sure why we have to have them as excuses in some way, or at least some explanation for her behaviour, because it doesn't, yeah. That, that... It feels like the sort of simplification you make when you say, okay, I've only got a hundred minutes to tell this story. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I suppose. But... And, or, alright, I, 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 I am not a historian by, by training or profession, but, but I, I am most definitely a researcher. <laughs> yes. I and agree. I, I, I liked, I think I would generally prefer the accurate version to the dramatic one. Unless you just say, this was inspired by, but we changed the names. Which is well, not fair enough. I mean, the other story that wasn't a true story, but, you know, we both very much enjoyed because it was, it felt so true, was Das, das Boat. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, if you're going to try and explain someone's character and motivations in real life, then stick to reality. I, I, I do find that a bit frustrating, you know, when, the other real films we've we've seen were clearly weren't as based as grounded in reality as this was. Then you shouldn't take liberties with the truth in that way. Mm. Mm. So that that is, I don't know. Perhaps I'm getting a bit dramatic. That is something of an offence to me. <laughs> there, there are large parts of you know 
as as we've said before, I, I I don't particularly like these people. I'm not supposed to like these people. I I did like parts of the film as a film. Yes, that, that is a thing that sticks a bit. Yeah, yeah. I I think when if you're going to do a if you're going to do a true story, do it do it. Child. I I. You you're going to have to make stuff up because the full details aren't recorded. But at least don't contradict the, the known. Yeah, truth. if there's something there, I mean. I, 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 I'm someone who often nowadays reads fact rather than fiction because actually the, the, the stories are better in some ways and they feel better when they're true. Um, but it is frustrating if you dress a story up as, as fact and it, uh, there, there is at least flagpole it and say, well, actually we made this bit up. Anyway, mm. I, I won't um, over, overdwell on it. So we talked about, well, that, I guess we're talking about the script there a little bit. Um, it felt to me like the point of the film was to discover a little bit about Ruth um, and to explain how she was driven to this situation. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I'll, I'll be frank, as if it's not clear already, I didn't particularly enjoy the film I, because it's not a setting I enjoy spending time in. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a relationship I wanted to be any part of. Um, <laughs> I knew how it ended, and I. Uh, by the time I realised the film was going to end with the murder, I was sort of well over halfway through the film at that point, and, mm. and then I became a bit disappointed and dispirited because, uh, although, although it was interesting to see that, uh, I sadly. I could have told you pretty much all the elements that happened in that film just from knowing the situation and knowing how it ended. There were no mm. surprises. There was no sense. So really the film rested upon the having an emotional connection with the characters within it, which frankly I didn't, um, mm. or being interested in the performance and the art of the... Of the cinema, and I know Roger. One of your ways of dealing with films that we're, we're less excited about <laughs> is to just look at them as, as, as from a technical perspective, from from an artistic perspective. How well acted is this? How well framed is this? Um, I, I I can do that to an extent, but I, I if I'm not enjoying a thing, I'm not enjoying it ultimately. Mm. And that's where I'd come down on Dance with the Stranger that I just ultimately... So if, if we're saying is this a masterpiece, I think the answer is no. It's It's got some excellent bits in it. Um, it has I, I will say again work yeah, Richard, Richardson is the centre of this. I, I don't know if she's in every scene, but she's pretty much. And she carries it, no question. Yeah. 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 Um, Delaney, of course, uh, was mostly known for uh, A Taste of Honey. Oh, you um, see, this might be the problem I had to... <laughs> this, I mean, basically, this all stems to my childhood. Because I had to do A Taste of Honey for English. Um, mm-hmm. at G- I mean, everyone says you always hate the, the stories you do at GCS English. That's not true in my case. Lord of the Flies, I adore. It's one of my favourite stories because, to me, it <laughs> speaks the truth of humanity. Turns out it's not actually true because kids that get shipwrecked, they did some study and it turns out they don't all murder each other, which is very depressing. Um, <laughs> but we did, uh, we did, our oh, Shakespeare, we did Merchant with Venice, The Merchant of Venice, which is not one of his greatest plays. Um, so hmm. I didn't like Shakespeare very much. <laughs> um, anyway. Uh, There's some damn good stuff there, but how much were you going to miss when you're at school? Oh uh, yeah, exactly. Anyway, the point is I didn't like A Taste of Honey, and I guess I felt very similar vibes to this, which makes sense now, because um, it was the same writer. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm generally not a fan of the kitchen sink style. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, yes, we, we all know that there is horrible stuff, but do we have to watch it in detail? Yeah. All the time. <laughs> I, I think Some, this sometimes was, sure. <laughs> I think this was to, to me. Uh, was it a masterpiece? No, I think it was adequately staged and produced, phenomenally acted on the part of well, all of them really, but certainly Miranda Richardson. But mm. you know, uh, if I'm not engaged with a story, however well acted it is, then I'm not. I'm not going. Was it? Yeah, so, that's fair. Was it trailblazing? I, I didn't. It doesn't feel especially trailblazing to me. Maybe I'm wrong, but it, it built on the back of kitchen sink dramas and just told the true story of a murder, but not in an not in an imagined, not in a particularly novel way. Mm. 
And was it influential? I don't, I don't think so. I, 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 I'm not sure. I mean, I've certainly seen films like this or stories like this, but I've, I, there were those around before this as well. It felt a bit. In, in some ways, it feels like a last gasp of the kitchen sink, angry young men sort of thing. Yes, exactly. it, it has some of that sensibility, and yeah, not not really my thing. Well, and interesting, it, it might be interesting to touch on some of the other films that Mike Newell has done because they're not very distinctive in the sense that you, could, I would struggle to point at a film and say, "Ah, oh, that's a Mike Newell film," whereas you would have no question. It's some of the other directors we talked about. It's very clear. The Coens, Tarantino, we haven't talked about Tarantino, but... Um, I mean, he directed Four Weddings and a Funeral. He did Four Weddings, but that <laughs> feels very different to this. He did Donnie Brasco, which is yeah. utterly different. Harry Potter... P- P- Pushing Tin, comedy about air traffic controllers. I would not have drawn a through line with between those films. And Harry maybe, Potter and the Goblet of Fire? Exactly. I mean, it's that... I don't know if that's a strength... Or a weakness. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Well, what I'm yeah, we, we, when, when we were talking about um, local hero, that that is a director with a distinctive style and subjects that he cares about and returns to. And here, I don't think we're seeing that. It doesn't feel like it to me. I, I wouldn't think. Oh, I'll watch another Mike Newell film, or even be aware that I've watched another Mike Newell film. Mm. Um, I, I feel that. I mean, it's it's all very competent, but I feel that's what it is. Aside from the acting, that's how it felt. Yeah. So, shall we move on to 1985 in film? Let's let's move on to happier times. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, this does seem to have been a, a, a year that uh, generally, what you know, ticket sales were down 17 percent in the US compared with the year before. Right. Um, and a lot of people were saying, basically, uh, Jan- Janet Maslin, another New York Times critic, was saying. Um, after Spielberg had had made huge amounts of money with Close Encounters and E.T., lots of people had tried to imitate that, and so there was a lot of sameness in, you know, that sort of fantasy-ish. I mean, this is the era when I I was nine, so this Mm -hmm. is when I was going to the cinema. So to me... But they were aiming this this stuff at you. Yeah, it worked (laughs) for most of the time, but I was nine in my defence. But um, what was it... Um... Yeah, weird, weird science and real genius and my science project. Oh my god! All came out in the same two-week period. <laughs> I've got a lot of happy memories of weird science. So, but, yeah, you don't need all three. <laughs> I've never seen. To my to my credit, I've never seen the other two. <laughs> no, I'm aware of both. Of them. Uh, there were there were a lot of films aimed at. Uh, younger audiences generally. There was a lot of kind of crap Spielberg-esque sci-fi around at the time, I think. Return to Oz. Oh, yeah. yeah maybe maybe not. I might be interested in that, because I don't, yeah, okay. Yeah. The Black Cauldron, you know, has, has its advocates, and I don't think you'd call it crap, but it was just a very crowded year of that sort of thing. There was a yeah. lot of the same sort of thing. Yes. Uh, looking at the Oscars... You know, I, I always feel the Oscars are a bit weird because it's it's a combination of stuff that's made a lot of money, but also stuff that can be looked on as arty. I think for the, for the <laughs> exactly. big name ones. A, yeah, yeah. Look, look, we can do culture. Yeah, um, quite often the films that win the Oscars a few years later, you're like, really? Do we do that? Sometimes they. So, uh, best film, best director went to Out of Africa. Oh, I'd like to give that a try sometime, if only. That again, that's the film that when I was becoming aware of films, that was like, oh, this film is amazing. So it, it strike it, in my head. It's this clarion call of film perfection. I suspect it's slightly <laughs> crappy in reality. Uh, other awards: uh, Kiss of the Spider Woman, Trip to Bountiful, Cocoon. Cocoon won an Oscar. Yeah, uh, best supporting actor. Not Steve Gutenberg. <laughs> Donna Mercer. Oh, that's only because he was about to die. Come on. <laughs> and uh, Pritzi's honour uh, for Angelica Houston. Oh, yeah. That's all right. I've seen that. It's okay. But uh, in terms of the highest grossing films... All right. Let's hear it. Number 10, uh, Spies Like Us, which I actually yeah. kind of like. Chevy Chase, Dan Aykroyd. Um, 
Yeah, I, I mean, I'm going to preface it's... all these films with, I, I like them because I saw them when I was nine. <laughs> or, or, but it's yeah, this, this is about the time I, I, I was a few years older than you, but I, this is about the time I, I was starting to get seriously into film watching. Mm. Um, and yeah, and it's, it's not, certainly not a masterpiece, but it, it knows what it's trying to do and it does it. And it's not and, and it, 1955 Britain. And it's even vaguely, vaguely reliable in terms of its characters. You know, it's a comedy, but they do the things that are right for them to do for their characters, not the thing that would be funny. Yeah, I mean, Chevy Chase is playing Chevy Chase, Dan Aykroyd is playing Yes, but yes, yeah. Uh, Number nine, The Goonies. Oh, now I have actually I rewatched that recently and found it very disappointing. I have never seen it. Right. Okay. I've never felt the slightest surge to say no, it. I wouldn't. Uh, it's, I, 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 I was never one. interested when I was a kid in films about kids. That's true. That was Spielberg's. I mean, this was Bob Zemeckis, wasn't it? Probably not Spielberg. Um, but um, yeah, co-produced and directed by Richard Donner, but Spielberg wrote the story. So, oh, it's Richard Donner, was it? Not Robert Zemeckis. Feels like Robert Zemeckis. Richard Donner of um, Superman and The Omen fame, mm. uh, both of which I think are better than this film. <laughs> uh, number eight, witness. Uh, Harrison Ooh. Ford goes, goes among the Amish. That's all right. Uh, number seven, the Jewel of the Nile. Uh, and oh. another of those. I, I think it's fair to say post Indiana Jones. Yeah, I, we were talking about does this have an influence, and I think it's fair to say Indiana Jones had an influence there. <laughs> it's all. I, I I have a lot of affection for that film. I I could not tell you whether it was good or bad. I think. It's <laughs> Uh, number six, Cocoon. Yeah, again, I was I was less bothered about that for some reason. And uh, number five, Out of Africa. All oh, right, never seen it, but yeah. I would like to. Uh, number four, The Color Purple, uh, which is Spielberg trying to be serious. Oh, yeah, Spielberg's first serious and film, arguably succeeding. I don't know, Jaws is pretty damn serious. But yeah, I mean, it, it's a drama film, not an action film. Yes, it's heading towards Schindler's List, isn't it? Uh, number three, Rocky Four. <laughs> I've still not seen any of the Rocky films. We really should. Rocky beats up the commies. We should uh, watch all the Rocky films for one episode. Every Rocky. Uh, and, I, and I thought the Vietnamathon would be bad. I, yeah, uh, I th- know talking of which, uh, num- number two, Rambo First Blood Part Two. <laughs> oh my god. Um, the very definition of jumping the shark, I think. I don't know, three was pretty darn bad as well. I've, not, I've, I've only seen parts of three. And at number one, um, getting on, yes, significant gap between this and number two. Got, wait, let me uh, guess. Can I guess? Back to the Future, it's got to be. Yeah. Oh, now that is a bona fide classic. Yeah. Um, See, imagine. Th- this, this is one of the, one of the first films I, I felt I saw in the cinema and really liked and thought, yeah, I, I, I want to know more about this. And so, rather than hearing about it a lot beforehand, and then later seeing the film. Now, imagine, if you will, Marty McFly is in 1985, Putney. <laughs> 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 he gets a, a two CV with a flux capacitor, and he goes back to 1955 in the in Britain. Well, we can get it up to 88 miles an hour, but only by driving it off a cliff. <laughs> <laughs> it just, it wouldn't be. It just, oh goodness. I think that sums up my feelings about tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather go to Hill Valley in 1955 than London. I'm, I'm not going to say you're wrong, but I am glad to have watched this. And it, it's certainly outside my comfort zone. And that, that was why I suggested it when we were looking at, um, Thompson's list of oh, films you should see. I, I mean, I don't get wrong, I've never been unhappy. Except for Raging Bull, but any film <laughs> <laughs> that we've watched, um, and I'm glad to have learned more about Ruth Ellis and to humanise her, so she is no longer just a statistic in my mind, but a person. I just what it spurs me to do is to learn more about the real Ruth Ellis rather than the fictionalised version we've had. Mm, I think it's a, the thing that really twisted it for me was finding out about the difference in how Andy was in reality yeah. versus the film. I just can't trust any of this anymore. I mean, I shouldn't shouldn't have been trusting it anyway. And I <laughs> well, sort, of, sort of wasn't, but he, here is a really big change. More um, fool yeah. you, but I, I completely agree. That really pulls the rug under the out from under the film and 
Uh, yeah, genuinely changes my perspective on it a bit. Right. Well, there we are. I, I think... <laughs> I can't think... I couldn't think of a funny way to open this episode, nor can I think of a funny way to finish it, because there is nothing funny about 1955. Ah, uh, they're all punters. They're just like a bit of spit and sawdust. <laughs> Thank you for rescuing me from my own willy. <laughs> I am now going to get my DeLorean up to 88 miles an hour and go to 1955 Hill Valley, where... Let, let's not make promises. That is, that is not our next week's uh, film. Oh yeah, sorry, no, it's a point. We yeah. will come back to it, but not yet. Yes, that's a good point. Alright, good night, Roger, and good night, everyone else. <laughs>